I'm excited to hang out with you guys today. Um, real quick, I want to, uh, if you've never heard me speak before, I like to be interactive, so I love feedback, and I like you guys. Y'all can be a little bit rowdy. That's okay with me. Um, and so I want some feedback, so we're going to do a little exercise here, if that's all right. I'm going to start a phrase, and I want you to finish it, okay? And you've got to be loud and be, be energetic here, okay? Uh, macaroni and... No, okay. Bert and... Tom and peanut butter and if whoever said bananas, we can't be friends. I'm just letting you know that right now. Um, Ross and, okay, now I know who I'm talking to. Okay, we got some friends fans here. Um, the word and um, is, is one of those words that if I had to guess, nobody in this room probably ever remembers being taught how to say it's just kind of part of our vocabulary. It's just part of our language. Now, you may have remember learning what it is. It's a conjunction, by the way, if you didn't know that. But you probably never remember saying the word. So I want to help you out um, in the true fashion of dealing with students today. Some students that are, I'm going to give you the definition of the word and, okay? So here we go. And is used to connect words, clauses, or sentences that are to be taken jointly, okay? The word and, it binds things together. You would never read a book get all the way through this immense storyline and get to the last page. I mean, it's building up to this climax, building up to this certain moment, and the story is just really getting good, and you turn to the last page, and that would be a terrible ending to a book, right? You, you don't want to do that. And is simple, but it's powerful. Now, I want us to look at one specific text this morning, and uh, it's where I want to spend most of my time today. So if you've got your Bible or Bible app, I want you to go with me to James chapter 2, verse 14 through 20. Um, you may know this scripture very well. Maybe you're hearing it for the first time, but I just want to read it this morning and dive into this a little bit deeper. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Faith without works is dead. We've heard that quote several times in our, in our Christian faith. You hear it even in the pop culture vernacular. You'll, you'll hear it from time to time. If you have an iPhone in this place, okay, I want you to get it out. Okay, now I feel like, like some of you ladies, it's like buried like deep in your purse. You don't have to do all that. It's not that important. But if you've got an iPhone handy, I want you to pull it out, okay? These devices are amazing, okay? I want you just to observe it. Just look at the beauty that is Steve Jobs' pro prototype, okay? Just, it, is, it is a beautiful piece of machinery. I'm an Apple fan. I love Apple. If you don't have an Apple, we can't be friends either. I'm just eliminating friends today. But I remember when the first iPhone came out, and I actually have it with me today. This is my very first iPhone, Gen 1, okay, back in 2007. When this thing, now, this thing has beat the mess out of it, Okay. Um, but I remember this very first, it's so tiny. I mean, I've got, I've got, hold on. Yeah, that's, that's what this looks like right now. This is an iPhone 1 and an 8 Plus, okay? And I remember when this first phone came out, I drooled over this thing. I was so excited when I heard that this thing was coming out. Um, the fact that you could actually touch something and it move with you was just mind-blowing. Now, some of y'all are more experienced than I am. Heavy quotation marks there. So more experienced than I. So you may remember very vividly a time before smartphones took over the world. Um, I do, though, also. I may not look super old, but I remember that time. 
And I remember this just being one of those things that I looked at and going, this is going to be revolutionary. But this was 12 years ago. And a lot has happened in 12 years. This first iPhone, I, I just want to go through some of the things this first iPhone had. This was a primitive phone compared to today. I, I've, I've used this analogy before with our students, college and high school students, and, and just the, the fa- their eyes, how big they get whenever I go over this. It was amazing because they don't, they, don't, they don't know about this. They don't know about iPhone 1. They don't know about Snake pre-iPhone. Come on, can I get any? Yeah, okay. Um, but this first iPhone, um, it had no app store. The app store didn't exist. You couldn't download whatever app you wanted to. You couldn't get your Facebook fix. No Instagram, no Angry Birds. You couldn't flick pigs at anybody, okay? Um, you only had the standard apps, camera, calculator, phone. This didn't have 3G. I didn't say LTE. I didn't say 4G, 5G. This didn't even have 3G. This was on the AT&T Edge network, okay? This didn't have copy and paste, no copy and paste. Um, you couldn't even change the wallpaper. You were stuck with that little world on the front and then black, okay, just as black as our, our souls were at that time. You could not send picture messages. So just think about all those times that you really wanted somebody to know what you were eating at that moment. You couldn't do that back then. It had no selfie camera. You couldn't take all the pictures. You couldn't do any of that. Um, you couldn't even film video on this thing. I'm talking, this thing is ancient compared to 2019. A lot's changed in 12 years, but one thing hasn't. If this thing doesn't have any power to it, if the battery runs out of juice, what is it? Useless. This is a, we, we call it the iBrick, okay? If it doesn't have anything in it, this, this phone right here, like I said, is the first one, and it's been, it's been beat to who knows what, and uh, so it doesn't even power up anymore. And the same thing kind of goes with our faith a lot of times. If we don't put any juice into our faith, if we don't power up our faith every once in a while, if we don't exercise it, if we don't work it, it's useless to us. For some of you in, your, in this place today, your faith may be looking a lot like this old iPhone. See, for me right now, this, this iPhone is a relic. It's, it's something, I'm never going to get rid of this. I'm always going to have it because, hey, I get to have the first iPhone. It's just, it's a shrine It's a relic. It's an artifact to me. And maybe for some of you, your faith is looking like this today. You haven't powered it up in a while. You haven't checked it out, but you just got it. You you have faith, but you haven't done anything with it. But it's a relic of what used to be. I want to talk to the students in high high school or college, wherever you're at in this place today. And I just want to tell you, please do not let your high school and college years be the best years of your life. Don't let it happen. Don't look 15 years from now and say, that was the best time. That was the time I was close to God. That's when, that's, that's when things were amazing. That's when this stuff was fresh. Don't look at it that way. Look at it as if I'm actively using it today to make it the best that I can be. Graduation day is not a punctuation mark. Instead, it should be an and moment. In fact, nudge the person next to you and tell them, and. Come on, do it with some gusto. I want to hear you say it, and. Come on. When you walk across that stage, students, I don't want it to be shake a hand, get a diploma, snap a picture, and that be it. I want it to be snap the picture, walk off the stage. I graduated and I pursued God from that day forward with everything I had. That I I took that cap and gown and I made a life worth living for Jesus. And I pursued God. I pursued relationships. I, pers- I served the local church. I did all these things. It should be an and moment. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down with me. 
that faith is the foundation. Faith is the foundation. It starts with faith. And we're going to talk a lot about and, and we're going to talk about the, the two things that need to come together, but it all starts with faith. You have to have faith. You have to know what that is, and you have to know where your faith is. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. Our faith is the foundation of everything that we believe as Christians. As followers of Jesus, our faith is vital, it's important. Here's a statement. How can you expect God to do something in your life if you don't believe that he will do it? Our faith says, God, I trust you. I know you're my savior, but I also believe that you can do stuff in my life that I can't anticipate or ever know. If you're wanting to do God to do something in your life, it starts with faith. We, we all have faith even if we don't realize it. And if you didn't have faith in anything, you would never leave the house. Let's be honest. Um, when you drive through an intersection... You have faith that the people going the opposite direction of you will stop at the red light. When, you, when you're driving your car, you have faith that your brakes will actually work. You may change, you may do some stuff regularly, but when, it, when push comes to shove and you have to stop, you have faith that those things will work. You have faith that your alarm will go off in the morning. You may hit snooze, but you have faith that it'll go off. You have faith that the Razorbacks will surely win another football game someday. We can all count that one out. I'm just kidding, okay? Most of us probably have a great understanding of what faith is, but in case you don't, I want to I recap it for you and let you know what the Bible says when it comes to faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, this is one that most of us probably know. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. In short, faith is believing and trusting in something that you have no control over. Faith is trusting that I don't have control over this, but I'm trusting it will work so my question this morning is, where is your faith? Where is your faith today? Where do you put your trust? When life's not going great, where do you put your trust? When life is going great, where do you put your trust? There's a, there's a great new song, uh, Hillsong United's new album, People. If you haven't listened to it, it's amazing. Go check it out. But there's a song on it called Highlands. And there's a great line in the chorus of that song that says, I will praise you in the mountains, and I'll praise you in the mountains in my way. We have to have faith in those moments. No matter where we're at, faith is the foundation. And we have to know where we're putting our trust and where we're putting our faith. So two different areas. Do you put your faith in people? Are you putting your faith in people? Show of hands in this place. I told you, I'm interactive. Show of hands in this place. If you have ever had somebody let you down before. Okay? Okay, yeah. So obviously we can't put our, our faith and our trust in people all the time. People will let us down. A 2009 Dutch study showed that a large majority of friendships last only on average of seven years. A large majority. So that means if you're a high schooler or college student in this place, if you're a graduate, chances are very strong that the people that were your best friends in school, you're only going to be Facebook or Instagram friends in 15 years whenever you're married and have kids. People, times change. People grow apart. Things happen. We can't always put our trust in people. Do you put your faith in your plans? Show of hands. Who has had something not go the way that you thought it was supposed to? Who had a change of plans happen in your life? Yeah, okay, we're all there. So you can't put your trust in your plans. A Washington Post study showed that only 27%, 27% of college graduates have a job related to their major. Only 20, and all you graduates are going, oh no, <laughs> maybe I should have a backup plan, okay? 
27%. Things happen. Things change. Things don't go according to plan. Things take a different, different path. The reality is that people can hurt you. Your plans can change. But God will always remain. God will always stand there. He'll always be there. He's not going anywhere. He will always remain. Our faith has to be rooted in Jesus, but that's only the first step. It's only the first step. Faith, good. Faith in Jesus, amazing. But even the enemy has faith in Jesus. Have you ever thought about this before? Even the enemy has faith in Jesus. In fact, James chapter 2, verse 19 says, You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Our enemy knows that there's only one God. Our enemy has faith in Jesus that he's going to do what he says, is, what says he'll do. But what separates us from the enemy is that we put our faith into action. What separates us is that we are willing to do something with our faith. And that's why James is talking about if, if you're not doing anything with your faith, if your faith isn't active, it's useless. We have to do something with it. Um, do I have any fans of grilling out there. Any grilling fans? Anybody like grilled food? Okay. I'm a big fan. I love grilling. If you know my dad, you know I love grilling. Okay. I love grilling food. I love to grill out. It's one of my favorite things. Anytime we got people over, I'm usually trying to grill out when we have people. I love steaks, burgers, grilled veggies. Come on. If you've ever had corn on the cob, you know that's going to be in heaven one day. Um, Grilled bread. If you have never tried grilled bread, you need to do it today. It's a beautiful day to do it. You need to go, tr- go home and try it. Just add a lot of butter. That's, what, that's the secret. Butter. Okay? Um, about 10 years ago, me and my brother, we were just two eligible bachelors back in the day. And we had, we had our own house together, us and, a, and another friend of ours. We had a house. And, of course, we're, you know, I'm 20 years old, 21, something like that. And my brother is, is right there behind me. And... We have the metabolism of 20-year-olds, and so um, we grilled out all the time. And, I mean, I'm talking like 1.30 in the morning after we get done with a sick Halo match, you know, just on our Xbox. We'd, we'd like, hey, let's, let's grill some food. So we go out and grill some food. And one night, I remember this so vividly, my 20-year-old metabolism was, was just like, I can handle this. And we thought, you know what would be really cool to grill? Donuts. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it's delicious, okay? Um, we did it. It was amazing. And if I didn't think I would instantly gain 15 pounds today, I'd do it again, okay? But we grilled donuts. It was amazing, crispy, just all the carbs. It was amazing. Um, but I love grilling. One of the things, though, I'm terrified of when it comes to grilling is chicken, okay? And if, you're, if you are a grill master, um, you may be better at this than I am, but I'm terrified to grill chicken, especially like bone-in chicken, because in case you didn't know, raw chicken, not good for body, okay? You, you should not eat that. It's just not okay. Uh, I watched enough Gordon Ramsay to know that's really not okay. Um, you should not do that. But I'm terrified to grill it because I don't want to undercook it. And there have been more times than I can count that I've been out there grilling and praying, okay, not just like a spiritual prayer, but God, please let this chicken be all the way done before I serve it to people. And I bring it in, and I'll give it to Lauren, and she'll cut it and go, eh, I don't know. <laughs> and I'll have to go back outside or just microwave, God bless. Okay, so, but grilling chicken is always nervous because you have to cook it all the way through because raw chicken on its own is not okay for you. It makes you very sick. But there is a process that has to happen between raw chicken and delicious barbecue chicken or God's chicken, Chick-fil-A, okay? There is a process that takes place between the two. It's called the process of cooking. 
There is an action that takes place. There's an action that has to happen before you can reap the benefits of the nutritional value and the protein that's in the chicken. Our lives are the same way. You may be in one state right here that is unhealthy. You should not do anything with this. But an action takes place, and now you can reap the benefits of your faith. We have to do something in order for our faith to be activated. Scripture is full of moments and references where an action was required to unlock a miracle. Uh, Jesus told the blind man in John 9, go wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. I've got the miracle waiting inside of you. All you have to do is do something to activate it. Lazarus would not have been able to walk out of that grave if people didn't roll the stone away. Jesus asked them, hey, roll the stone away. It required an action for the miracle to happen. The woman with an issue of blood had to reach out her hand. She had to make her way through a crowd to get to Jesus. And the power was in Jesus all all along, but there was an action that was required on her part to unlock it. Moses could never have walked on dry ground if he hadn't struck water with a staff. There is something that happens when we put our faith into action. I believe James chapter 2 is telling us that it doesn't matter how much you know, how many Sundays in a row you come to a service, how much Hillsong you listen to, how many scriptures you memorize, if you don't do anything with what you've been given, then it's empty. Then our faith, there's, there's, our faith isn't enough. It's got to have action behind it. It's got to have steps behind it. And it's a heavy statement. Listen, I get the weight of that statement. Because for some of us, and I know I've been in this place before, that I think my faith in Jesus, just trusting Jesus is enough, but Jesus is asking us to do more. He wants us to take that step. He wants us to take that action. Jesus is not only asking us to trust him, but to trust him by doing something. There's a story, uh, the great Blondine. Um, Maybe you've heard of him. The great Blondine in the 1800s, he was a tightrope walker. Um, He was kind of that daredevil. He'd be all over YouTube today, just letting you know. Uh, He became the first person to tightrope across Niagara Falls in 1859. And he was, man, he was world famous. People would all come from all over the place to to look at him. And he would tightrope across Niagara Falls. When he got bored with that, yeah, he got bored with tightroping across Niagara Falls. He would blindfold himself and walk across the tightrope. He got bored with that. He did it on stilts. Got bored with that. One time he even cooked an egg in the middle of that tightrope. Just... I can, my mental picture is just picturing him blindfolded with a pan, just sitting like this in the middle of Niagara Falls, cooking an egg. Later on, he got so brazen, he got so bold, that he pushed a wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Then he did it full of cement. He kept pushing the limits. And people would come from, from miles around, all over the world to see this guy. And... He would ask the crowds before he would do it, do you think I can do this? And the crowds would cheer, yes, we know you can, man. You're amazing. Do you think I can push this with a wheelbarrow? Yeah, of course you can. Dude, you are incredible. He says, do you think I can push the wheelbarrow full of weight again? Yeah, of course, bro. Why are you asking? We, we get it. And he looked at a guy square in his eyes and said, what about you, sir? Do you think I can do it? And the sir's like, absolutely. Get in. No. (laughs) Okay. Get in. If you have that much faith in me, then get in it, and I'll show the world something new. And it's a lot like a lot of our faith. God, I believe you can do it. I'm going to sing these songs to you. I'm going to do all this stuff. And then God asks us to do something. We're like, no. (laughs) 
No, that's, that's too much. Why? Because something happens where now it affects us. It's easy to celebrate and trust in God when it's happening to other people, but when God asks us to do something, it becomes very personal, and suddenly we're aware of our own surroundings. And God is asking us, if you really have faith in me, then you'll do something with it. Otherwise, your faith is empty. It doesn't mean much if you don't really trust me. We have to take the risk. We have to do something. Otherwise, we are just another face in the crowd. And Jesus has called us to be so much more. So the question is, what action is it that God is asking you to do? What is something that maybe God has been asking you to do and to take a step in? What wheelbarrow is he asking you to get in so he can show his glory? What's he asking you to do? Is he asking you to talk to that person who you work with? Is he asking you to serve, to start serving the local church and to be serious about it? To use your resources to fuel the local church, to go on a mission trip, to fund a mission trip, to do something. Let me talk to the students for just a second, okay? My graduating class. Listen, what's your plan after graduation? What do you plan on doing? And I'm not talking about your advanced degrees or what college you're going to if you're in high school, what career path you're going to do. I don't want to know your five-year plan on paper. But what is it God is calling you to? What thing have you been putting off to say, I'll wait till after school? What is it God is asking you to do? What is your and? What is that and thing in your life that God is wanting you to do? Jesus is saying, if you really trust me, then trust me enough to do something, and it's not going to be easy. I want to end this story, or end with a story. It's in Matthew chapter 14, and I don't have time to read the whole story to you, but I'm going to summarize it the best I can. Um, in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus and the disciples are, are doing a lot of ministry, and Jesus tells the disciples, hey, I want you guys to get in the boat. I want you to go on the other side of the, of the sea. And I'll, I'll meet you. I'll meet you when you get over there. First off, reading this, you know, we, we know this whole story. Jesus comes out and meets them. But I want to know what the disciples thought in that moment. When Jesus is like, go on ahead, I'll meet you there. Like, what did they think was going to happen? I'm just curious. Later that night when the boat was in the middle of the sea in a big storm, Jesus shows up walking on the water. They freaked out. The disciples freaked out. They thought it was a ghost. And Jesus says, no, guys, hey, calm down. It's just me. It's Jesus. But Peter, being Peter, okay, Peter didn't believe it. He wanted proof. So he asks Jesus, okay, bro, Jesus, if it's really you, call me out onto the water. Just, if that's really you, and I know you can do anything, ask me to come out there with you. So Jesus says, one word, come. It's all Jesus says, is come. Peter steps out. I got to imagine, I'm a visual person. I've said this before, but Peter kind of shaking, trembling, kind of, this is either gonna be really good or really bad kind of moment. He steps out of the boat, steps onto the water. You got to know in that moment that Peter is, is one foot on water and one foot in the boat. And he's unsure about this foot. He's unsure what's gonna happen. But he steps out anyway. He steps out on the water, takes another step. Dude, this is awesome. This is amazing. Looking straight at Jesus going, is this really happening? And Jesus is like, okay, come on. But then Peter has a thought that I'm still in the middle of a storm. He freaks out. He loses his cool. He loses his momentum and he begins to sink. 
And Peter does something that a lot of us have probably done at one point or another. And he cries out, Jesus, save me. Jesus does just that. He reaches down his hand, he grabs his hand, and he pulls him back into the boat. Then Jesus asks him in verse 31, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You of little faith, why did you doubt? In fact, if you've got your Bible app or a Bible, I want you to circle, highlight, write that down, verse 31 of of Matthew chapter 14, because that's the verse that I think Jesus is asking a lot of us today. Why did you doubt? For years I have read and even taught on this story about how much, Pete, how much faith Peter had to step out of the boat. Chances are a lot of you have heard that as well. How much faith did it take for him to step out of that boat? He stepped out in faith. Last year, though, a pastor by the name of Jeremy Foster, he pastors a church in Texas. He's really close friends with Pastor Rick and our church. I was at a conference where he was speaking, and he gave... He talked about this very story, and it, changed, it completely changed my perspective on this story. Obviously, we can never know Jesus' thoughts or intentions when it comes to this. But the more and more I study and read this and think about it, Peter was never supposed to leave the boat. Jesus never said, hey, Peter, I want you and the disciples to go out about halfway. I'll meet you out there. Then, dude, you're going to walk on water. No, Jesus said, go to the other side. When Jesus walked on water and stepped out there and he says, hey, guys, it's me. Peter had so little faith that he didn't even believe it was Jesus. It was his lack of faith that made him step out of the boat and onto the water. When Jesus asked Peter, you of little faith, Why did you doubt? I don't think he was asking, why did you doubt you could walk on water? I think he was asking, why did you even doubt it was me to begin with? And I think a lot of us are in that moment, just like Peter. Peter needed to remember what the psalmist said in Psalm chapter 56, verse 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Once you make the decision to get in the boat, stay in the boat. Stop questioning the purpose that God has for you. Trust that God has put you in a place, he's put you in a place for you to succeed. Students, listen, graduating class, God has got you. He's got you. Trust in him, trust that he's got your plans. Trust that he knows what's best for you, that he's got you. When he comes to you and says, hey, this is me, trust me. I know you think it's a ghost. I know you're in the middle of the storm, but guess what? It's it's really me, I'm speaking to you. Trust that it's Jesus. Trust that it's him. Stay in the boat. Have faith in the calling that God has put on your life. Stay in the boat when you've lost all faith and you wanna run. Stay in the boat when you find yourself in the middle of a storm. Stay in the boat when life gets hard. Stay in the boat when it's not working out the way you had planned, when people have let you down and your plans have let you down. We stay in the boat. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, All things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You have been called. You've been called for a purpose. Trust the process. Trust what God has already put in motion. He put your plans in place way before you ever existed. All we have to do is follow the leader to follow the process, follow what he has for us. I want everybody in this place, if you would, stand with me today. 
I'm gonna close this out. And, but I wanna encourage you. I wanna encourage you with this statement. You see, maybe you're in a place like Peter was. And maybe you're, you feel like you're at a place where you don't have a lot of faith. Where maybe you keep asking God for proof to prove he is who he says he is and what he'll do. I wanna encourage you to stay in the boat. In fact, I want everybody just to close your eyes for a minute. I just wanna to speak to your hearts for just a second. See, the, the amazing thing for me is that even in Peter's unbelief in that moment, even though I, I believe that he was supposed to stay in the boat the whole time, even when he said, you know what, I still need proof and I'm gonna step out, Jesus was faithful to, say who, to be who he said he was gonna be. Even in the moments where Peter was sinking, even what was the worst of the worst at that moment, all Peter had to do was say the words, Jesus, save me, and God was mighty to save Jesus didn't hesitate in that moment. He didn't say, mm, I'm gonna let you sit in this for a minute. No, the minute Peter said, Jesus save me, Jesus reached down his hand, picked him back up. And here's the part I love. He put him back where he was supposed to be. He put him back in the boat. He said, this is where I was coming to. I was coming to meet you here. This is where I want you right now. You are never too far gone that Jesus can't reach out and save you. You are never so stranded in a storm that Jesus can't find you where you are. God makes a big habit of turning our messes into miracles. 